0: Wow, once again, hello everybody. It's good to see all of you today. We get the opportunity to open up God's word together. And so if you brought your Bibles, I'd encourage you right now to turn them to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we are. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Ward. I am also one of the pastors on staff here. And this week, uh, I get the opportunity to continue this series that we began a few weeks ago called, What Are You Searching For? We know a lot of people in the world are searching for a lot of big things. And we believe ultimately here that every search... is It ends in Jesus and it ends in God's word. And so that is uh, what we're doing throughout this series. And today we have just a really relevant section of scripture, a really relevant topic that we're going to be taking a look at today. And so here's what I want to do. I want to get the lay of the land. So I'm going to read this passage we're going to take a look at ahead of time and then we'll pray and then we'll see what we have today. So it's Luke chapter 12. It's starting in verse 22. You can follow along in your Bibles or we'll also have these words on the screen. And this is what it says. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is is how God clothes the grass grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is to throw it into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you here today, Lord, and look at this uh, very important and uh, very relevant topic, God. Uh, I pray that you would uh, use this time, Father, uh, to just give us a better picture of who you are through your son, Jesus, God. And Father, I pray that these words spoken 2,000 years ago would bring such life uh, to us here today, Father, and that we would leave this place today changed, not as a result of anything that I did, but as a result of what you have done through your Holy Spirit. And so, God, we give this time over to you, and we ask that you be pleased in and through it, and we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as we begin here today, you know, um, one of the sometimes difficult things about being a pastor, and let's be honest, my job is not all that difficult, but one of the sometimes difficult things about being a pastor is that there are sometimes when I am asked to speak up here, required to speak up here on subjects that I don't know all that much about, okay? There are some struggles that you all go through, there are some things going on in the world maybe I have to talk about from time to time that I will admit I am not an expert on, Well, I wanna let you know that what we're talking about today is most assuredly not one of those subjects. In fact, you'll be happy to know I am a veritable black belt in what we are talking about today. And that's because today we are talking on the subject of anxiety and worry. And those of you who have been in this church for a while, uh, you know that I have not been shy in the past about my struggles with anxiety. In fact, a few of you who have asked over the years what it was that I got my doctorate in a few years ago, I literally got my doctorate in anxiety and worry. And by the way, that is not true at all. But... I could get an honorary doctorate in it, okay? I really could. There are a few things that I will ever be asked to speak on in this church that I am more of an expert in uh, than the subject we are taking a look at today. And you know what? I have a feeling that I am not alone in that. Uh, it seems to me that a lot of people these days are majoring in the subject of worry and anxiety. In fact, according to the study I came across this past week, 40 million adults in the United States have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, and those are the ones who are diagnosed. There's probably much more than that who's struggling with anxiety. And what is probably most tragic of all is that it's affecting younger and younger people these days. In fact, according to that same study, 10% of children ages 3 through 17 have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. 10% of children ages three through 17. We are living in an age of worry. And if I can just come out and say it Friends Church, it's miserable, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, if you have ever struggled with worry before or if you are excessively worrying about something right now, you know firsthand just how miserable worry and anxiety can be. In fact, I love one of the words that is used in this passage for worry. Jesus uses it in verse 29. The Greek word translated uh, worry in uh, verse 29 is the Greek word meteorotsomai. Meteorotsomai. And what's interesting about that word is you may see our English word meteor in it. And that's absolutely right. The Greek word meteorotsomai literally means to be up in the air. And that's what it feels like sometimes when you worry, right? It's like you're up in the air. It's like you have nothing solid under your feet. And it's so unsettling. It is just miserable. Well, here's what I want to let you know today, okay? If you have ever struggled with worry before, or if you are struggling with it right now, I want to let you know that God wants to provide you relief in this. He does. And one of the things I think we sometimes forget from time to time, especially for some, reason those, for some reason those of us who have been Christians the longest, is we sometimes forget that our God does not want life to be miserable, men and women. No, God wants us to enjoy this life. He wants us to experience what we're talking about in the series. He wants us to be fulfilled and he wants us to be satisfied and he wants us to be content. In fact, it's Jesus himself, John 10.10, 10, who said that he came that we may have life and we may have it to the full. We may have it abundantly, some translations say. And you know what? There's no way that you can have an abundant life if you are worried all the time. God wants us to be free from worry and anxiety. But you know what? This doesn't just happen. It requires something of us. And that is what we are going to be talking about here today. The passage that I read just a second ago in Luke chapter 12, it is not just any passage in our Bible on the subject of worry. It's actually the longest passage we have in our Bible on this particular subject. And the words here, they come from none other than Jesus himself, and I think that's really important because as we learned the first week in this series, Jesus is the master on this life, right? It's Jesus who we're told in the passage in Colossians, we looked at the first week, he's the one who holds the whole world together. He's the one in whom and through whom and for whom this entire world was created. He's the master on this life. And so if we want to know how to get the most out of this life, then Jesus is the one that we need to consult. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today through this passage in Luke chapter 12. So here's how I'm going to go about this passage here today. As I was studying this passage this past week, I really felt like there were three truths that God laid on my heart that I want to share with all of you here today when it comes to the subject of worry and anxiety. So I'm going to unfold these truths one at a time. We'll put it on the screen. You can write them down as you, if you want. And here's what I want to say about these truths, okay? Obviously, in one message... We cannot cover everything that needs to be said about this subject, okay? But at the same time, I do believe that if we embrace these truths, we will get a good start in overcoming anxiety the way that Jesus says that we can. So what is it that the master, what is it that the master of life has to say about worry and anxiety? Well, the first truth is this. We'll put it on the back screen here. God designed life to be about more than the things that we worry about. God designed life to be about more than the things we worry about. Now, what do I mean by that statement? Well, let me explain. You know, as I have spent over the years, a lot of time sort of examining my own anxiety, what I have found is so much of my anxiety, what's really at the heart of it, is it comes down to one word, and that is the word control. So much of my anxiety, I have discovered, comes as a result of a desire to control the circumstances around me. And I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, one of the things I think you realize the older that you get is you realize how little control you really have over the circumstances of this life. And the reason why is because the older you get, the more you realize the number of surprises that life can throw your way that can knock you off course. We all got an example of this three years ago when the whole world came to a stop and some of us today are still reeling from the consequences, from the ramifications of that particular season. There are a lot of surprises that life can throw your way that can knock you off course. Well, guess what? Generally speaking, as human beings, we don't like to be knocked off course and we don't like to feel like we're out of control. And so one of the things that some of us turn to is we turn to worry. And the reason why is because worry gives us this sense that we have control over the things that we don't ultimately have control over. So for example, I am realizing these days better than ever that I have no control over how my kids turn out. I can guide them. I can instruct them. But ultimately I have no control over what happens to them and I have no control over the decisions that they make. But I'll tell you what, when I worry, it feels like I have some sort of control over my kids and over their future. Or take another thing that a lot of people worry about and that's your job, that's your career. You know, I'm realizing that my job, my career, that is ultimately in God's hand. I don't have any control over that. But guess what, when I worry, It feels like I have some control over that. You see, there is this feeling of control that worry and anxiety give us. As I was thinking about this this past week, the image that came to my mind is the image of my cat playing in the backyard with some rodent that she has just caught. And what she'll do is she'll play with it for a while and then she'll stop playing with it. And the rodent will stay still for a little bit and then it will seize its opportunity and it will think that it it can get away and so it tries to run away. And what does my cat do in that moment? She grabs it and she pulls it back in. And that's what worry feels like, right? It feels like we're dragging these things back in. It feels like we're in control of things that otherwise are getting away from us. And for me, at least, that's where so much of my worry comes from. But what we don't realize is we don't realize that this desire to control things and this worry that we have, it actually keeps us. From experiencing so much of that abundant life that God has for us. And this is the first point that Jesus makes about worry in this passage. Look with me in verses 22 and 23 here again. As Jesus begins this section of teaching, he says this It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And we'll stop right there. And what you see is point blank, right? Jesus comes out and he tells us, I don't want you to worry. And specifically what Jesus says is there are two things I don't want you to worry about. I don't want you to worry about your food, and I don't want you to worry about your clothes. I don't want you to worry about what you will eat, and I don't want you to worry about what you will wear. And what you have to understand is what Jesus is really talking about when he talks about those things, is he's talking about all the physical necessities of this life. You see, in the first century, to to talk about food and clothes was sort of shorthand to refer to all the physical necessities of life like we'd say today, room and board. And so if Jesus were talking today, he would tell us, I don't want you to worry about money. I don't want you to worry about your retirement. I don't want you to worry about your career. I don't want you to worry about your health and that sort of thing. And so Jesus tells us here not to worry about the physical things that so many of us worry about. But what I find so interesting is the reason that Jesus gives us here not to worry about these things. And you see it in verse 23 when he says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And what Jesus is saying there is exactly what I'm saying in this first point. The reason that we are not to worry is because life is more, is to be about more than the things that we worry about. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. Let's say, brothers and sisters, that you won the lottery tomorrow, okay? And I know none of you here play the lottery, but let's just hypothetical situation here, okay? So let's say that you all won the lottery tomorrow. And if you won the lottery, for many of us here, in one fell swoop, most all of the big worries that we have in this life, they would be taken care of, wouldn't they? We wouldn't have to worry about money. We wouldn't have to worry about our job. We wouldn't have to worry about retirement. We wouldn't have to worry about our kids' education. To a certain extent, we wouldn't have to worry about their future because we know that they would be provided for and so on. And so in one fell swoop, all of those things would be taken care of. Well, here's my question for you. If all those worries were eliminated from your life, would you then be fulfilled? Would you then be satisfied? Would you then be living the abundant life That Jesus promises that we can live. Well I know some of you probably think yes absolutely I would in that moment. But you know what Jesus says otherwise. And that's what he means when he says life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And what Jesus is telling us is that he knows that even if all the physical things that we worry about were taken care of tomorrow. We still wouldn't be living the abundant life that God designed for us. And I think deep down, I think many of us know that this is true. You know, I'll say from personal experience, some of the most dissatisfied, most discontented people I have ever met before have also been some of the people who have been on the wealthier side of things. You see, one of the things that I have discovered is I have discovered that money doesn't fill our stomach, it just makes our stomach bigger. Money creates a hunger all of its own. And those of you who work in retail, you can back me up on this. Because I would imagine some of the most difficult customers you have all ever dealt with before have also been on the wealthier side of things. Wealth does not bring us satisfaction and fulfillment in the way that we think it would. And so what Jesus is saying here is that we could have all of our needs taken care of and we still wouldn't be living the abundant lives. So if that's the case, where does the abundant life come from? Well, it's what we talked about last week. It comes from service. It comes from giving ourselves to others. And Jesus talks about that that at the end of this passage when he says we need to sell our possessions and we need to give to the poor. Abundant life does not come from getting. It comes from uh, giving. And so the point that Jesus is making here as it relates to worry is, listen, even if you had everything that it is that you often worry about, it wouldn't bring you what you think it would. So why worry about it? Why spend all this time and energy stressing about it? It's like when my kids, you know, it's like when they worry about monsters under their bed. Or they worry about dolls that come to life and attack them. And yes, that is something that we're actually dealing with right now. And as parents, when they worry about that, you sort of pull out your hair, right? And you go, why are you wasting so much time and energy worrying about that? That's what God says to us. And so what Jesus is really addressing here is he is addressing the fruitlessness, the uselessness of worry. And this fruitlessness, this uselessness of worry, it's compounded when you realize that worry doesn't ever accomplish for us what we think it will accomplish for us. And this is the point that Jesus makes in verses 25 and 26. Look at me there. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And the key there is at the beginning when he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And you know what Jesus is doing there? He's attacking the control freaks like me. He's saying, you think that worrying grants you control, but worrying doesn't give you control over anything. Worry doesn't change anything. And he's absolutely right. None of the things that I have ever worried about has ever changed anything. Now, if worry leads to action, that can change something. But worry itself has never changed anything. It is a completely fruitless endeavor. That's why I smile a little bit about the current health craze that we see these days. You know, These days people are so concerned about what they eat and they're so concerned about what they drink and listen, I'm all for eating healthy. I think that's important. I say that despite the fact I had McDonald's this past week but generally speaking, I'm all for eating healthy but this can be taken to the extreme and we've all seen that. There are people out there who obsess over every single calorie. There are people out there who spend hours a day every single day in the gym and I think what lies behind at least part of that is there is this desire that some people have to control the ultimate uncontrollable thing in this life and that is death itself. And there's a feeling that some people have that if we can just find the right combination of things then we can put that off as far as possible. But brothers and sisters that's not possible. Because that's not in our hands. I love the story of the Guinness book of world record holder for the oldest recorded person ever. She was a French woman, she was 122 when she died. And what I love about her story is she broke basically every rule in the book. Not only did she eat two pounds of chocolate every single week until the day that she died, but she also smoked cigarettes every day from the age of 21 until she finally quit at the age of 117. Can you believe that? Now obviously, don't send me any emails, I'm not advocating smoking here, okay? I may be advocating chocolate, I will admit that. But what I'm trying to illustrate is that, is this, our lives are in God's hands. He's the one who is in control. Therefore, obsessing over the things that we obsess over, it won't do what we think it will do, to the contrary, it robs us of the life that God has for us. And that's the first truth that we see in this passage. And that then leads to the second truth. Because I can imagine what some of you are thinking right now, and that is, but Chris, if we don't obsess over these things, if we don't worry about these things, how do we know that we're going to be provided for? How do we know that we can be taken care of? Well, that's the second truth that Jesus makes in this passage, and that is this. We have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to provide for us what we need so that we can be free from worry. We have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to provide for us what we need so that we can be free from worry. And this is the major theme, the major truth of this passage. Uh, Jesus makes this point twice through two different but similar images. The first image is the image of a raven. Verse 24. Jesus says, "...consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds." And so here Jesus uses the image of a raven. He makes a similar point using flowers. Verse 27, he says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that If that is how God clothes the grass, grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And I love what Jesus does here because, you know, we're told at the beginning of this chapter, as Jesus delivers his teaching, he's outside. And so he is probably literally pointing to these things as he's talking about them. He sees a raven in the sky and he says to his disciples, I want you to look at that raven right there. And understand in the Jewish faith, ravens were considered unclean animals. So the Jewish people didn't care much about them. But that illustrates Jesus' point even more. Because what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you see that bird right there that you don't even care about? Did you know that your father in heaven cares about that bird? And how do you know that? Well, you know that because you've never seen a raven plan for his meal. He doesn't plant any seeds, and yet he always has enough to eat. And who is it that feeds him? Your father in heaven. And so the point that Jesus is making here is, listen, if God takes care of ravens, how much more is he going to take care of you? Jesus says something similar about wildflowers. And once again, he's probably pointing to some wildflowers in Israel. We'll put a picture on the screen of wildflowers that are actually in Israel. There's probably a scene like this. And so he says, consider the wildflowers. And here's what you need to understand about flowers, right? Flowers do not even have brains, brothers and sisters. And yet, look at how beautiful they are. And how do flowers get so beautiful? You ever see a flower shop in Joanne's Fabrics? No, how does a flower get so beautiful? God clothes them. God dresses them, Jesus says. And the point that Jesus is making in all of this is, listen, if God takes care of these creatures that are not created in his image, how much more is God going to take care of you and me who are created in his image? Who are his sons and daughters? That's what Jesus is getting across. Continue on, verse nine. He says, and do not set your, 29 rather. And he says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And I love the phrase at the end of verse 30. For your father knows that you need them. God knows that we need the physical things of this life. And he promises to care for us. And if you were here at Good Friday, the Good Friday service a few weeks ago, you heard me talk about this. Because this has been one of my biggest shifts in my own anxiety. I talked a little bit, I joked a little bit about this at the beginning. But listen, I have seen a lot of improvement in my anxiety. And one of the reasons is because of what we're talking about right now. My view of God has dramatically shifted over the years. You know, some for some reason, I grew up with a view of God that, that I didn't really think God loved me all that much. I think at the very best, I would say that I believe that God tolerated me. And listen, if you believe that God just tolerates you, then this world becomes a very scary place to live in. But when you realize that God loves you like you love your children, when you realize that God cares for you like you care for your children, then the world becomes a whole lot less scary. That's why recently I have started beginning a lot of my prayers with the following phrase and you may find some of it helpful as well. But the phrase is this, dear generous father. Dear generous father. And understand I don't say that to try to remind God of his generosity so as to manipulate him. I say that to remind myself of God's generosity. I say that to remind myself that when I'm coming before God, I'm not coming before a stingy, tight-fisted deity. But I'm coming before a generous father who loves to give good gifts to his children. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Now to this point, I can imagine maybe what some of you are thinking. See, one of the benefits of being an expert in anxiety is I know what you're thinking about when you hear a message like this. And what some of you are thinking is, well, Chris, this sounds well and good, but let's be real here. Sometimes God's children do have to go through difficult experiences. Sometimes bad things do happen to God's people. And you're absolutely right in that. And I also know that that's one of the things that keeps many people anxious. It's not just control, but as I said earlier, you know, people don't like to be blindsided. And so there's this idea that some people have that if we can imagine every possible bad scenario that can happen to us, then we can prepare ourselves when and if those things do happen. And that's why some people worry. It's to prepare themselves for the possible bad things that will come their way. But you know what? There's two problems with this worry-to-prepare-ourselves approach to life. The first problem is most of the things that we worry about don't even happen. So we're wasting all this time and energy worrying about something that's never even going to occur. But the second and the bigger problem with this worry-to-prepare-ourselves approach to life is that it overlooks the fact that God promises to provide for us what we need when we need it. This is what is often called grace for the moment, and I myself have been the recipient of this. You know, I think back to my wife's cancer diagnosis last year. You know, we had about six weeks in between when my fi- wife found the tumor in her breast and when we found out it was cancer. And it was a very miserable six weeks. Because we spent a lot of time and anxiety and tears and prayer and sleepless nights as we were praying for the best, but we were hoping, sorry, praying for the best, but we were expecting for it to be the worst. And it was just miserable. And then finally we had the examination. Finally we had the appointment where we were going to find out the results of the biopsy. And so we were taken into the examination room of our doctor's office and we were just a nervous wreck in there. And then there was a knock at the door, and it was our doctor, and he said, hey, I want you to come with me to my my personal office. And at that point, you know it's not going to be good, right? So we follow the doctor into his personal office, we sit down in the chairs, and he delivers the news to us, and it's not good news. It's the news we were dreading, it's the news that it's cancer. But I got to tell you, men and women, in that moment, there was such an incredible peace that came over my wife and I. In fact, I'll go ahead and say it, the Holy Spirit was in that room in that moment. And it was so evident because here we were receiving this news that we were dreading and both my wife and I, we just had this incredible calm that came over us. And in fact, that calm lasted the whole rest of the day as we had to make all these appointments and meetings for what was next. And I would say the primary feeling that we have had over the course of the past year is this supernatural calm. And what I learned from that incident is actually I learned two things. First of all, I learned that all that time I had spent worrying was pointless because it didn't change anything. And then the second thing I realized is exactly what I just said. God gives you grace for the moment. When and if the other shoe drops, God promises to provide for us what we need. Therefore, we do not have to prepare ourselves. It's like what Corey Tim Boom said. She once said this very famously. She said, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And that's so true. You know, sometimes I think we worry about the future because we think, I don't, I don't think I'm strong enough to face what it is that I might have to face. And so I have to worry about it to prepare myself. Well, listen, you're half right You're not strong enough to face what it is that you have to face in this life. You're not. And the reason why is because you don't need to be yet. God doesn't promise to provide for us what we need before we need it. And so you're not strong enough to face all the possible things that you may face in this life. But here's what I know. When and if you do have to face those things. When and if we do have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. What does God promise us? That he is with us. That he will be strong enough. And that he will provide for us what it is, what when we need, the, the things that we need in those moments. And so we don't have to prepare ourselves for them. And that's the second truth. We have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to provide for us what we need to be free from worry. And that leads to the third truth and the final truth. And that is this. To live this way requires an intentional renewing of the mind. To live this way requires an intentional renewing of the mind. Every time I read this passage, I'm always drawn to the same word in this passage. And it's the word consider. Jesus uses it twice in this passage. Once in verse 24 and again in verse 27 when he tells us to consider the ravens and consider the wildflowers. And what draws me to that word consider is it's a thinking word. The Greek word is katanoesate. And what's interesting about that word is it has the Greek word for mind in it. Noe is the Greek word for mind. And what Jesus is telling us there is he's telling us that overcoming anxiety begins in the, in the mind. We have to think differently. We have to retrain our mind to think a new way. That's why I really believe one of the most important verses in the Bible on anxiety is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, when Paul says this, he says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And look at that phrase, every thought. And what Paul is telling us here is that overcoming anxiety is a moment by moment, thought by thought process. Every time a thought enters into our mind, we have to stop it dead in its tracks and we have to examine it. And we have to go, is this true? Is this what God's word teaches? Is this what Jesus says? And if it is, great, we can dwell on that thought. But if it's not, we gotta kick it out. And we have to replace it with a truth. Truth like God is with us and God is for us. Truths like what we find here in in Luke chapter 12. In fact, if there's a passage you want to memorize, this is a great passage to memorize. Truths like uh, God is our shepherd and he walks with us through the valleys of death and so on. And as we do that, men and women, our mind literally begins to change. Our mind creates new patterns of thought that enable us to slowly but surely stay grounded in the truth and overcome worry. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But if we are intentional in this, we can literally retrain and renew our mind. And let me say this, because this is really important, but but there are some of us in this room that may need some extra help in doing this. You know, I've talked about this before, brothers and sisters, but I do not believe my brain does what God intended for it to do. And some of you are thinking, finally, Chris, you admit it. That's the first step. And it is. But I'm serious here. You know, science tells us that about one-third of people, they have brains that make it much, much harder to kick out negative thoughts and to dwell on the truth. That's just the case. We have brains. Some people have brains that are more predisposed to negative thoughts. And, And I think I have one of those brains. And this is not a spiritual issue. It's not a sin issue, it's a physical issue. Just like one-tenth of people have hearts that are predisposed to heart disease. The brain is an organ just like any other organ in the body. In fact, the brain is the most complex organ in the body. Now as I've said before, it is the brain that tells us it's the most complex organ in the body. So there may be some exaggeration that is going on, but I happen to believe what the brain says. But nevertheless, the brain is an organ. And if you had an organ in your body, if your heart was not doing what it was supposed to be doing, what would you do? Well, you wouldn't hesitate, probably most of us, to seek therapy and even to seek medicine to get our heart to do what it is that God intended for it to do. Well, I don't see why we should, seek to, why we should hesitate to do the same thing if our brain doesn't do what God intended for it to do. That's why I've talked about before, I've been to Christian counseling to help deal with my anxiety and depression. I'm currently on medicine to help deal with it, and I have no shame in admitting that because it has brought me relief, and it may bring some of you relief as well. Now, obviously, I'm not a doctor. Well, I am a doctor, but I'm not the real doctor, okay? I'm a fake one, and so anything that you do, it needs to be done under the care and the supervision of a doctor. But let me say this, especially to those of you who have really struggled with a debilitating anxiety and even depression before. I am here to tell you that there is is hope in this. And I am walking proof of that. Now, I'd be lying if if I didn't say that I still struggle from anxiety from time to time. Of course I do. But it's nowhere near where it once was. And a lot of that is because of what I've already talked about. But you know what? A lot of that is also because of you all. You know, one of the things I love about this church is I have never felt shamed. And I have never felt judged for my struggles with anxiety. In fact, far from it, so many of you have encouraged me. And so many of you have supported me. And so many of you have prayed for me. And perhaps that is the best of all. You've prayed for me. And that is what has been brought, brought some relief. You know, one of the things that the Bible tells us is we were, we were not intended to do this life alone. And I have seen firsthand the benefit of having a loving church community. And I want all of you to be able to experience what I've experienced. And that's what leads us to our close here today As we were thinking about how to close here today. We decided that we wanna spend just a little bit of time in extra worship. And the main reason for that is so we can spend a little bit of time in extra prayer, okay? We know that there are some of you who come here today, you come here with a really big burden. And others of you, you come here and you are struggling with anxiety and depression. And I want you to be able to receive what I have received over the years. I want you to be able to receive the encouragement and the support and the prayer of this church community. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with with two songs instead of just one, okay? And during these two songs at the crosses throughout the worship center, we're going to have our prayer team. And most of them are going to be identified by a, a, a lanyard that they're wearing. And if at any time during these songs, if you want to receive prayer, we would love for you to come to one of the crosses and we would love to pray over you. And here's what I want to let you know for those of you who may be a little bit nervous in this, okay? Our prayer team has been trained and they have been trained not to lecture you. They have been trained not to shame you. They have been trained not to judge you. That is my job. That's not their job, okay? I'm just kidding. But they've been trained only to just encourage you and to come alongside you and to petition God on behalf of you. And so, if you want that, and who wouldn't want that, but if you want that, then we would love to pray for you during this time. And then the rest of us, we just get the opportunity to worship God together. So here's what I ask. Would you all please stand with me right now? And as we stand, I am gonna ask our prayer team if you can make your way out of the aisles right now, and if you can make your way to the crosses to be ready for this time of prayer. And as we close here today, I'd love to just pray uh, over the next couple of songs and over what we want God to do or we are going to ask God to do during our time together. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, I speak uh, here today from firsthand experience when I, when I just talk about how, um, how debilitating, how, how miserable anxiety and worry and depression, uh, how it can be, Father. And God, I I know that you are bigger than any of that, Father. And God, I just really believe in my heart of hearts that there are some people here this weekend, even tonight in this service, Lord, that you want to break free from that, God. You want to give even a miraculous healing for that, God. And so, Father, I pray for your people uh, here right now, God. I pray for anybody in these seats who... um, When I talked about receiving prayer, there was that initial, I need to do that. And maybe even now there's some fear in doing that. God, I pray that you would allow them to fight through that fear. To know that all we're going to do is just get the opportunity to meet with you and allow you ultimately to minister to us during this time, God. And so, Father, I pray that anybody in these seats right now who needs prayer for any reason whatsoever, Lord. That they would feel the confidence that they would feel that the the nudge from you to go and receive prayer father and i pray that at these crosses i pray that there would just be a tangible sense of your presence in this space lord as we call upon you the loving father to show in this time your care your love your concern for each and every one of us And God, as we sing these worship songs together as a church, Lord, I just pray that you would remind us of your goodness, Lord. You remind us of your grace towards us, Father, and that we would recognize that we do have a good, good Father who loves us, who cares for us, Lord, and who wants to show that to us each and every day, Father. And so, God, we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do, Lord. And we ask that your power would be on display uh, in and through this place uh, here tonight. And we ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.